It's me, DJ Envy, with the word of the day. Subscribe. That's it. That's the word. The Alive Podcast Network is global streaming platform that curates the best black creative content in one spot. Just for you, tap in today for $5 in iOS, Android, and AlivePodcastNetwork.com. Finally, a podcast network that understands the assignment. The Alive Podcast Network has launched the world's first content distribution app tailored by and for podcasters and listeners of color. Subscribers will enjoy a wide variety of shows ranging from spiritual to comedic to inspirational. Podcasters can house their content and merch in one spot and monetize from a central location. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com coming soon to iOS and Android. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. You can thank me later. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are now tuning into the Positive Deposit Podcast, where we transform minds to change lives. And usually we have cancer survivors on this show to have great, courageous conversations. However, I have a very, very, very special guest with me, Dr. Hadia Nicole Green. Did I say your name right? I don't want to mess it up. Did I say it right? Yes, you got it. Yes. Okay, awesome, awesome. Idea. Yes, you got idea. it. <laughs> idea, Nicole Green. We have her on the show, and she is an amazing physicist, and she is in the fight with cancer as well. Um, she founded the Orly Foundation, and I'm not going to give everything away because that's why you're tuning in. So um, I want to give the floor to you, Dr. Green, and just, uh, just say a little bit of words before we get into this real good conversation. Okay, so I want to say on behalf of all of Team Orly, all the volunteers and supporters of the Orly Smith Cancer Research Foundation, thank you, Presley, for your support and your partnership with Positive Deposits. I'm excited about launching that partnership. I'm excited about working with you all to do good on the planet. So thank you for your support and thank you for this opportunity. I'm excited to be here. Man, um, no, thank you. Thank you. And um, it's funny how we connected, obviously, through Kappa and, and Divine Nine and Greek divineness. But um, let's get into it. Who is Dr. Green? Okay. So when I think about who is Hadia, I identify myself as a child of God. I sometimes describe myself as a light worker. Um, pun intended because I use lasers, a form of light to kill cancer. Um, and Hadia is a servant and I have a servant's heart to help people. That's how I show up on the planet as my natural, organic, authentic self. Dr. Green is, um, is a force <laughs> that, um, that the world is meeting who has three degrees in physics, who is a professor at Morehouse School of Medicine in the Department of Surgery, is the founder of a tech-based nonprofit and an innovator, an entrepreneur, um, a game changer, a disruptor, so to speak. Um, I And I enjoy this unique space of being uh, an inventor of a technology that has shown complete elimination of tumors of human cancer and laboratory mice after one treatment over the course of 15 days with no observed side effects. So when I look at Dr. Green and my professional accomplishments, I have to acknowledge all of my mentors and the people who, who are responsible for me being here, my village who helped raise me. And I also thank all the people who have a acknowledge my contributions, naming me as one of the 100 um, most influential African-Americans in the United States, being, um, being named by the 100 Black Men of America, and most recently wow. being named as one of the 100 most inspiring women of the century by USA Today, along with Eleanor Roosevelt and the notorious RBG and Hillary Clinton and Michelle and, uh, and Oprah. And I'm humbled to have those kind of accolades along with the founder of Susan G. Coleman and the founder of the Girl Scouts for my work as, the, as a physicist and as the founder of the Orly Foundation because of my commitment to keep my technology affordable and accessible for all understanding the global impact of what I'm doing is bigger than money. 
Man, man, wow. So there's two sides. You got Hadia, you know, who's the light. What is? It has a force. The force behind the light. You. I mean, I'm just <laughs> speechless. I'm so. I'm so not only proud of you, but it's 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 just refreshing to see. You know, an African American woman such as yourself. The hard work has paid off. The hard work has paid off. So um. Let's and, and let me, go ahead. And let me add a couple more things because I like to always shout out and represent that I'm an HBCU graduate. Go Bulldogs. I'm a proud alum of Alabama A&M University. I'm proud that I graduated with a 4.0 in physics and that was my launch pad into my career. That was my opportunities that came when I interned at NASA was because of my relationships at Alabama A&M University. Wow. When I interned at University of Rochester Institute of Optics, that was because of my relationships at Alabama A&M University. So it's really start here, go anywhere. And I love to rep my HBCU. And I think that's such an important part of my story. I think it's also important that people understand that even though I'm one of the first African-Americans in the country to get a PhD in physics, that I'm the first in my family to go to college. Wow. I was, you know, class president all four years in high school, but also even though like my journey is, is unique, when I tell people, if I can do this, anybody can do anything. Cause it wasn't about me. It was really Hadia surrendering to what God had for me to do on the planet. It wasn't about Amen. me being so smart. It was about me being available to be a vessel to do this kind of work, about me asking, what's my purpose? What can I do? Send me, I'll go, and being obedient and committed to that journey without deterring and making the decisions that stayed aligned with my faith walk. Wow, that's powerful. So I'm glad you are part of the HBCU family, A&M. Obviously, you know, I'm a Howard University alumni. So HBCUs, we're, we, uh, we're doing big things. We're doing big things. So let's talk about that. How did your HBCU experience help you catapult? You, you kind of mentioned it a little bit, but how did that help catapult you to, you know, even go to get your PhD in physics? So, so I have to start off, like when I was in high school, um, I was mentored by the Deltas in St. Louis. Okay. And one of them sent me to Alabama a and on a full scholarship and had mentors waiting for me. And a collective of people from St. Louis who were at school, in, in, in school at Alabama a and who mentored me, who took me under their arm and wow. help make sure that I didn't fall through the cracks, that I wasn't a number. They encouraged me to um, be the founding president of the Greater St. Louis Student Association and president of other organizations while I was there. And that led to me becoming Miss Alabama A&M University, which was a huge honor to be queen for a year and to serve the institution <laughs> as a servant leader. Yeah. And the confidence that I built while I was there, the uh-oh, uh-oh, there we go. <laughs> no, I had a phone call. I put my phone on "Do Not Disturb," but sorry. Um, it's okay. So, so the the confidence that I built while I was at Alabama A and M University, the the support, the nurturing, the love, the reinforcement that I got allowed me to hold my head up when I walked into my PWI for graduate school. And I'm getting the comments like, oh, it's not fair for you to be here on full scholarship and I have to pay student loans to be in the same program. And I not well, only wow, the hate, wow, the, the hate. <laughs> That's part of the journey though, right? But right, right. my HBCU experience gave me that confidence that, well, hold on, let's put this in historic perspective. My ancestors worked for years without pay. So if I get a free education, as a, a little bit of uh, reparations, so be it. But you, 
don't come to me with it. So that's a whole side <laughs> note. But I think that it's important to have a historic perspective of having opportunities that have not historically been afforded to African-Americans and yeah. being able to take advantage of them now, not just because I'm Black, but because I'm just as smart as you, maybe even smarter, and I can hold my head up high and be confident about I have the same or greater intellectual capability than my counterparts and my HBCU experience gave me that confidence. So when, I, when I'm asking questions in the class, I don't feel like, oh, my questions reveal my incompetency, my questions reveal my intelligence because there was a loop in the logic that in the professor's lecture. And often I had my professors come and say, hey, can I have a copy of your notes? Wow, wow. Um, and teachers, teachers came to you. They came to you like, hey, we see you. And, and I'm not saying all of them, but that happened on more than one occasion. And, and knowing that my experience at my HBCU gave me the platform to hone my problem solving skills where I am an expert at paying attention to details and solving problems. That's my area broadly of expertise. And going into graduate school with that confidence happened because I went to an HBCU. And had I, at 18 years old, gone to a predominantly white institution, being the first in my family, I do feel like what I experienced in graduate school, had I experienced that at 18, I probably would not have had the stamina to go on to get a PhD. So the catapulting happened because of the nurturing, because of the love, because of the confidence building. And knowing that I'm capable, that I'm smart, that I'm entitled to be here just like everyone else was so important. And so often young African-American professionals show up with imposter syndrome, thinking mm, that we're not good enough yep. to be at the table, we're not smart enough, that we're not entitled, that there's some something so special about other people that they deserve to be there and we don't. And the reality is we deserve to be there too. Exactly. And a lot of times we deserve to, we just don't have a chance. We don't have the opportunity. And HBCUs for me, it leveled the playing field because I didn't come from a family of means. I come from very home. Advise me about what to expect in college or to stay right, care. Right. And so having that transition allowed me space to develop so that I can go be competitive. Exactly. Now that I, I totally, 100,000% uh, agree with you. I mean, being on the, the yard of Howard University, um, we were of the elite of the elite. And I'm not gonna, tell everyone when I started Howard, but this, it was just that environment that to, to excel, you know, and we had the space to um, have the opportunities to be exposed to Fortune 500 companies. People were coming to Howard to recruit. And so I, I totally agree that we can be in the room. We can have a seat at the table and we work just as hard to earn that right for a, a free scholarship or things of that nature. Like, I mean, what's the difference, you know? But um, no, power to the HBCUs, especially A&M, because you, you, I can see it in your face. <laughs> you are distinctively like, yes, I deserve to be here and I work my butt off to be here. And so- yes. And, and shout out to Howard. I mean, you guys have the first female vice president of the United States, the first African-American vice president of the United States of America. Exactly. Like, <laughs> it was like she graduated from my HBCU too. Like I feel so proud. Yes, yes. So proud. Yes. yes. Yeah. We, I'm, I'm just doing a little bit of humble pie. You know, I want to go, you know, to, I know, uh, I'm just excited about it. You know. Don't push your shoulder off. Just a little bit. <laughs> And so, um, Adia, how did you come in contact with cancer? When was the first time? So, um, my first time coming in contact with cancer was the day after we finished with my graduation from Alabama and the University. My aunt who raised me from age four 
announced that she had what she referred to as woman's cancer. And she mm. said that she would rather die than experience the side effects of chemotherapy and radiation. Wow. I was her primary caregiver the last three months of her life. And I had to start opening up to tell more of her story. Because um, usually I skip right over that experience and go immediately to three months after she passed. My uncle who raised me was also diagnosed with cancer. He went through chemo radiation. I was also his primary caregiver. But I want to pause to talk about that first experience. I watched the matriarch of our family, the cooker of Christmas and Thanksgiving dinner, the glue that held us all together, this glorified, dignified, proud, praying woman of God, church going, hat wearing, like big mama, grandmama to everybody else. So she cool. was 20. <laughs> Soul food, right? I grew up making cornbread from scratch. We didn't have a microwave. We didn't have cable. Like it was, <laughs> we had to turn off everything with electricity off every time the storm. Like she was, she was that for us, right? Like old school. She grew up in Dumas, Arkansas, on the farm, wow. right? In 1932, she was born. She was 21 years older than my mother. This was my mom's sister. So she literally was the rest of the people in my family who was my age. She was their yeah. grandmother. She was old enough to be my grandmother, but she was wow. my aunt. So having her go from being this powerful matriarch for us to somebody who couldn't walk, who couldn't talk, wow. who couldn't clean herself, take care of herself, who couldn't mm -hmm. feed herself. Um, let alone cook a meal for herself or like Thanksgiving, Christmas. We haven't had a holiday dinner since she fell ill. Wow. As a family in 2003, 2020, we haven't come back together since then. So when I say cancer devastated my family. Yeah. By what cancer did to her cancer devastated my whole family mm. and watching her deteriorate because cancer literally consumed her from the inside out to yeah. the point when she couldn't speak anymore and all she can do was moan and groan that experience was so heart-wrenching Mm. And all we could do was pray and have peace that she knew she was going home to be with the father and she was tired of fighting. Yeah. So come through that experience, trying to find peace and praying like there has to be something better than this. And then three months later, my uncle was diagnosed. He went through wow. chemo and radiation. I watched him suffer. Like I watched my aunt suffer from cancer. Then I watched my uncle suffer from cancer treatments. And I watched him lose 150 pounds, all of his hair, all of his eyelashes, his fingernails turned black, his, um, his nausea and his digestive tract was, it was horrible. Like, wow. he didn't have control of his bodily functions. Wow. And, wow. and I, I literally was in prayer this entire time and I prayed him back to life. The doctors Amen. had given him three months to live and said, we don't know what you did because he was out of here. And I'm like, okay, I, I don't know how to duplicate that kind of prayer. Um, but he was my last living parental figure. And it was literally prayers mm -hmm. of desperation and maybe even brainwashing him for, for recreating his will to live without his life partner, wife, and best friend. So... I prayed and asked God to show me literally how to cure cancer. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking about, and I had this idea that, you know, I don't even understand why cancer treatments have all of these global side effects all over the body. If you have cancer at one location, you should be able to treat the cancer at that location, exactly. especially if a satellite Right. And especially in a, if a satellite out in space could tell if a dime all the way on the ground is face up or face down. Wow. Didn't even know that. Right. So I learned that when I was at NASA, you could tell if a dime on the ground 
it's face up and face down from a satellite and out of space. That's the kind of, that's what we're talking about with precision and resolution here. And then I was thinking, if you could take a cell phone and call anywhere on the whole planet, even in a stadium full of people and target just one cell phone, why can't we treat cancer at the site of the tumor? Mm, you onto something, you was onto something. <laughs> right, so this was the idea I had to use my background in lasers and optics because I interned at NASA, interned at University of Rochester and I was planning a career and revolutionizing the way we receive cable and internet. And I was like, well, what if I apply that to killing cancer? Mm. And so I went on a mission when I went to graduate school to develop this technology. And I did. Yeah. And I'm using lasers and really small particles called nanoparticles as a way to create a very local site-specific treatment to kill cancer at the site of the tumor. Mm. it's not a cure-all it's designed for solid tumors and it has implications and applications for a variety of different kinds of cancer from prostate breast head and neck brain colorectal cervical pancreatic like a variety of solid tumors so and i know i'm jumping ahead a little bit but right now people are reaching out to us can we sign up for the clinical trials and we are raising money to begin human clinical trials now and people always hear what I'm doing and they're proud of me and they give me awards and I'm grateful for that. But if I can say it loud for the people in the back, I need people to donate to help us take this treatment into human yeah. trials instead of assuming somebody else is going to fund this or somebody yeah. else or some celebrity. If I had a dollar for every time somebody asked me about if a celebrity is going to fund this, um, we would have had the money. And so we're, we are committed to making this technology affordable and accessible because of how, back to your initial question, I was initially introduced to cancer. This wasn't yeah. a way for me to get rich. This was because this yeah. was personal to me. It's personal. It's can like cancer devastated my family. Yeah. And for the child who did not have a biological mother or a biological father, and lost both grandparents at four years old. My aunt and my uncle were my parents. They yeah. were the only parents I knew. So for cancer to come and devastate my family the way it did, um, the horrors of cancer and cancer care, I said, you know, we've been raising awareness and talking about hope. We need new arsenal in this war. Yes, and that's yes. what I developed. And so I grew up with older brothers who taught me how to fight. So I'm like, okay, okay. I'll fight for cancer patients. I got yeah. new arsenal yeah. in this war. And I'm, I'm stubborn enough that mm -hmm. this is going to happen. But I need people to hear that if I could have made this happen by myself already, it would have been done. And I need help. Yeah. So um, we're going to go back. So Okay. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love the passion. I love the passion because just hearing how cancer and how it affected your family was the motivation to think outside the box. You yes. know, like it's you have that knowledge. I, I don't even know that a satellite can can tell if if a dime is has the tail. Right, and and to your point, when I started thinking about. What if cancer had devastated Albert Einstein's family? What if cancer had devastated Charles Drew's family? Like, what if our, the geniuses of our time had been impacted by cancer and applied their genius to developing a better cancer technology? So wow. for me, because I had this technical background yep. and this unique family background, Yep. It, it started becoming apparent to me that this was my purpose on the planet. This is what I was born to do. My life set me up for this work and I was called for such a time as this. Exactly, exactly. So what year did you start? Like you already had the idea. What, what year did you start this journey to create the laser technology, you know, using the, the nanoparticles and things of that nature? So between 2003, 2005, the cancer diagnosis was in 2003 okay. for my aunt and my uncle. And I started doing research in between and I 
captured and downloaded. It was like a celestial into like a download <laughs> <laughs> that I I documented in my notebook. And yeah. that was in 2005. And then I went to graduate school in 2005 yeah. to figure out how to manufacture and develop this technology. Right. Well, um, what... And I was in graduate school from 2005 to 2012. And I think it was around 2009, 2010, when I actually got the technology to work. Okay. And then, Five years. Um, okay. And, I, and I say this, and I think this is important, especially for any young person hearing this, the yeah. academic challenges of getting the PhD in physics or even any of my three degrees in physics wasn't, the challenge was never the academics. Okay. The reason why it took me so long to graduate from graduate school was because of racism. Mm. And I don't talk about it. I haven't been talking about it because nobody really wants to hear about that. So we sweep it under the rug and we keep moving because that's over now and nobody wants to hear the sad story. But I think it's important for everybody who has a dream that people say is impossible for you to know that other people may not have been able to do it. So it was impossible for them. But if that's your assignment, don't let anything discourage you, not racism, not ageism, not sexism, not yeah. people you know, telling you no. And one of my favorite new quotes came from, and I just heard Titus Burgess talk about it. Don't let somebody tell you no who doesn't have the authority to say yes. Exactly. And when your authority <laughs> is coming from God, <laughs> yeah. a human can't tell you no, maybe for their small domain, but the universe is vast. And the story of perseverance, I think, is more important than the experience yeah. of racism. And that's the message I communicate when I talk about racism being the reason why it took long to graduate, longer to graduate. But that's, but that's an important piece of it because, you know, they don't talk about it. They don't, they don't, they leave that piece of it out. However, you are able to persevere. If, if you don't mind sharing, what was it that, that what, what did keep you back? What, I mean, like how, how how did that happen? You know, like what was that hurdle that you had to get through to to get the accolades that were due to you from your hard work? So, and, and let me say, because I think while we're in the process of healing in the nation, that just in the same vein, and I think it's important to make sure I'm telling the whole story, in the same vein that racism held me up, there was an older white man who came and saved the day. So having yeah. having white allies are important and critical in the story and the journey. So I yeah. had a dissertation committee member who blanketly told me I was never going to graduate. It didn't matter what I did. Wow. And he laughed and walked off. I had another dissertation committee member tell me that my technology would never see the light of day, go back and incorporate a drug. Wow. And, and in hindsight, I understand the industry standard to have cancer treatments incorporate drugs. Right. And mine doesn't. And to develop an effective technology that doesn't incorporate drugs was by design, so it doesn't have all of the systemic side effects. Right. And our treatment currently doesn't show any observed side effects because it doesn't incorporate a drug. Right. And as it, a side note, it's important for people to understand, I'm not trying to disrupt the whole pharmaceutical industry. There are nearly 9 million people a year who die from cancer every year worldwide with the best of chemo, the best right. of current cancer right. treatments. Right. So there's a whole 9 million people a year market for me to go target and help save those lives. So that's my objective. Um, but I think... Being able to tell my story and not rely on my feelings, but rely on my data yes. and my evidence that yes. my technology works yep. and presenting that to a person who also had a background in physics and a background in medicine yeah. for him to see what I was doing and yeah. say, oh, this is crazy. And he asked me to put him on my dissertation committee, went in the room the first time, asked me to excuse myself 
And while I was outside on the other side of the door, I heard him use choice words with the rest of my committee members about why I hadn't graduated yet. See? And within a year, I had my PhD and I was off to the races. Um, Amen and I, to that. I stay Amen to, to that, man. Amen <laughs> to that. There's always one person that sees Amen through. Yes. Sees through all the <laughs> racism and 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 calls a spade a spade. And and I'm glad whoever that was that advocated for you because it only takes one person to do that and speak up. Right. And and part of my journey is important to acknowledge those mentors and those advocates because at exactly. different points in my life, I've had that. And now yeah. I'm at this point where people think there's this roadblock and really I need introductions to funding sources and opportunities yeah. and philanthropists and and part of it, as a as a cancer nonprofit founder, you know the numbers. Um, some of the major cancer, not to um, say anything disparaging, but simple public records shows Susan G. Komen raises over $350 million a year. American yeah. Cancer Society raises nearly $700 million a year. And neither yeah. one of them have a cancer cure to show for the nope. almost billion dollars a year that they raise. And... 20% or less goes towards actual research to find cures and people don't know that. Exactly. And so having a black founder of a cancer nonprofit like we are, yeah. I'm speaking up for both of us about people need to analyze and, and reanalyze and make different decisions about what cancer charities they're supporting. Exactly. Because some organizations are designed to provide hope and are running marketing campaigns right. and to raise awareness. And that's an important part. Early detection saves lives. The uh -huh. earlier your cancer gets diagnosed, the more likely the current treatments will work. The problem is, especially in the African-American community, our family members aren't getting diagnosed till stage four. And at stage four, right. there's um, upwards of a 90% chance that the current treatments don't work. And then what do you yeah. do? They're sending our family members home saying there's nothing else we can do. So supporting black charities puts money closer to the things that are help impacting the African-American community to address true health disparities, yep. not just in how cancer is treated in the African-American community, but to address why black people are more likely to die from cancer, yep. um, getting diagnosed at higher rates. Yep. And there's a discrepancy and disparity in funding black nonprofits and funding black scientists. So yep. when you start saying the trickle down effect is going to work, it, it hasn't in decades. So yeah. we need a new model and that's what we're ushering in, not just a new model for how cancer is treated, but a new model for how cancer nonprofits are done. And yeah. so I think it's important with this, um, as, as we get ready to launch the orally and positive deposits yeah. partnership, that having direct access to cancer patients who are going through and need help right now and getting that support right now on the ground and having a, a Black-owned cancer nonprofit that's yeah. bringing forth new technology, yeah. like having that kind of partnership when people start talking about diversity and inclusion and how they're doing exactly. charity nowadays, these are the things that need to be on the table. Yeah. That's no, not I, so <laughs> no, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think that um, you said something that, that really just hit me is that it's not until they get to stage four. It's not until it's too late. And then we don't know what resources we do have. You know, like these big companies are having these big events and big things, but they're not coming into those communities to show um, African-Americans what to do. You know, it's it's on the it's on the website, but we need to get in into those communities. We need to set yes. up shop and things of that nature. And that's the thing um, that we're not doing. I mean, that's why I created my organization is because I was fortunate enough to have a good oncologist, and I was blessed and things of that nature. Not everyone has access to that. Not everyone knows to ask questions. Not everyone knows to you know um, 
their diets. Not everybody knows to stay active and stay physical, you know, because we don't talk about it. You know, right. we don't want to talk about it. It's like, nah, you, nah, we don't do that. And so I'm so glad that, you know, you took that pain and then turned it into something that is going mm -hmm. to change this world. And um, it, so I, go ahead. If I can add here, like part of what another aspect that we don't often talk about is the mental health component. Oh, you just and, took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> yes, yes. And the mental health component, because people think I'm an anomaly sometimes, but it took a whole lot of work and self, like I had to go in and do the work, like Mama Ayanla says, <laughs> I had to do the work. <laughs> and I went to therapy. And one of the things wow. my therapist talk, talked about was, part of grieving, a part of healing after you lose loved ones, yeah. um, in my case, losing loved ones to cancer, but part of my healing process was to do something to honor their memory yeah. and to honor their legacy in their life. Yeah. So that's why I named my nonprofit after my late aunt who raised wow. me. In this so that's who Oralee is for the mm -hmm. moniker Oralee Smith Cancer Research Foundation and paying tribute to her for being responsible for why I'm even here. I didn't yeah. get here by myself. And I had people say, oh, you should name. Because when I, I won the $1.1 million grant from the Department of Veteran Affairs and news about me when the grant went viral. And that was the same time where I started the Orly Smith Cancer Research Foundation. Yeah. And people said, oh, well, people know your name. People don't know Orly's name. So mm -hmm. you should name your nonprofit after you so that people can recognize the name. And that may have been to my detriment yeah. because that, that connection didn't happen while I was trending. Right. However, it was important to me spiritually. It was important to me in my soul and my emotional space and my healing space to honor her. Yeah. Yeah. And and the thought was, if we can have a Susan G, we can have an Lee. Exactly. And I think that you did the right thing because it's it's easy to, I could have named it Presley Deposits, you know, but, you know, you are honoring your aunt and this was the, that was a catalyst, the motivation to get here. So exactly. And so that's why is the story behind that is is why it makes it so much more important to support. So, so, I mean, I, Oralee is a brand and I know yes. that your aunt is watching and smiling because she said, thank you, thank you, thank yes. you. Because that force, the Dr. Green force that's coming out is, 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 is it just keeps going and keeps going. It keeps going. You talked about mental health. Mm -hmm. And um, why do you think we as African-Americans stray away from that? Just get, just getting a therapist, just talking uh, to I, someone about it. So I think, um, as I said, our people shall perish for lack of knowledge. Yeah, there is such a huge misunderstanding and lack of knowledge around the benefits of therapy. Yeah, that we don't even give it a chance, mm. and we start off closed-minded because we have a culture of not telling people our business. Right. And in, in reality, if we can just stray from cancer for a moment, those family yeah. secrets is, are why we have so much um, child molestation in our families yeah. in the Black community that we don't talk about. That's yeah. why we have so much incest in our families that we don't. That's why we have so much dysfunction in the Black families that we yeah. don't talk about. And going in and doing the work to heal and dig out some of those things. And it's not that you need to post it on your Facebook page. And I'm not saying use social media as a journal. I don't even believe or condone that at all. The, it, the safe space where confidentiality is legally, um, is, is there legally, they're bound by the yeah. law to keep what you say in confidence. That's a safe space to do the healing, to get the tools to cope with all of the PTSD that has impacted our community since slavery. So it's right. not that we're dealing with, oh, I'm fine, there's nothing wrong with me, but there is something wrong with us. And the part that's wrong with us may not be an individual's fault. So you're not dealing with your own stuff solely, you're dealing mm -hmm. with the generational things from 
the abuse that happened in the families that we don't yeah. talk about and yeah. what happens for two generations when you saw somebody in your family domestically abused or verbally or emotionally right. abused right. because they were dealing with racism and stress and things on their jobs mm -hmm. and and all of these systemic issues trickle down into our landscape and because of that i'll link it back to cancer now yeah stress has been scientifically proven to make cancer grow faster yes. so that's also part of why we yes. have higher incidence and mm -hmm. diagnosis of cancer in the african-american community so it's important to go do that healing to do that work to yes. not always try to be tough and nothing's wrong with me and yeah. so I know your, your question, I may not be answering directly, but I think it's important to speak out about, even if we don't see the value, it's important to get that, that and I don't even want to call it help, to get the tools that we need to be successful, not just survive, but to thrive, not just to live, but to be able to create a better place, to yeah. be able to manifest your destiny, your purpose. So you're not just dealing with all the struggles in the day to day and, and, and having being sad or grieving and being overwhelmed from time to time is normal. Yeah. Living in that space consistently for years is unhealthy. Exactly. And when you have that constant pressure, that constant mm -hmm. um, sources of stress and, and state of of being unhealthy and being unwell, that's when diseases start showing up. And those things start getting names yeah. when they take residence for so long. And they start getting yeah. diagnosed as different diseases and ailments that are truly just manifestations of our overall unhealthiness. Yeah. And no. if we do that emotional, mental, spiritual work and do that healing, a lot of times the rest of the body will follow. No, nah, you're spot on. And you, and you did answer the question because um, just being a survivor um, for two times, I, I had to get a therapist, you know, because yes. especially they were around the times where milestones, you know, being 29, about to turn 30, and then you, mm. you're doing everything right, exercising, eating differently, and boom, large B-cell lymphoma pops up, you know. Five years free, you know, five years is the, the mark, right? And you're, you're, yes. you're basically cancer free. And then knock, knock, stage mm. four, lymphoma comes back to haunt me. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are, you know? And so, right. and like, and, and they can't, at least for lymphoma, they, they, they can't pinpoint like, why does it flare up and why are these things? And so that's even scarier in itself. Um, I was right. at my lawn brother's wedding. And I'm thinking it's a cold, but it's literally the lymph nodes just spreading all over my body. Crazy. However, however, I think that it's important that um, meant to get a therapist, to talk things out. Those things, Absolutely. you have to dissect that because some of that is trauma. Some of that, you know, can pop back up, you know. Um, so there's our triggers with that. And, I, and those triggers are some of the things you talked about, the molestation and, and all this other stuff that we hold in and try to be strong and try to just say, oh, nothing's wrong. No, we have to get that out. Take those boulders off our shoulders because yes. we're able to think clearly, see clearly and be able to block and have those boundaries. So yes. that way we, we block the stress, you know, because stress does flare up cancer. And I think that I can think of yes. probably my job and other aspects of it why may they might flared up into stage four. And so um, now you totally answered the question. Um, I guess for me, it's like, so did you have to build like a team or you, this is a one woman show like to, to, to get, you know, the technology, right. You know, like, I mean, if it is one woman show, Hey, I ain't mad at you, but like, how did you gather the troops to support your vision? Okay, so that's a great question. I have to answer that and 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 acknowledge there were different phases. Okay. So there was the learning phase where, yes, the academic coursework, but then there was also the in the lab technical skill set that I built. Gotcha. And as they say, success has a thousand mothers, right? So yep. there were tons of people, and I literally would learn from everybody. There was this one lady who 
black science, black technician, never went to graduate school. She'd been working in the lab like 30 years, never got her flowers. Um, so I wanna shout out Miss Arlene. And there were people who worked in my lab who wouldn't take the time to show me how to grow cancer cells in the lab. Wow. And I met Miss Arlene in the, in the hallway one day because she had on a lab coat and she was a black woman in the building. And mm -hmm. we started talking and we talked for hours and I was kind of, I don't want to say complaining, but I was venting because I'm like, you know, I got to grow these cancer cells and I'm, right. I don't know how to do them. She was like, oh baby, come up to my lab. I'll show you how to do it. And I never wow. had cancer cells. I've been doing this for 30 years. And Miss Arlene took me under her arm and wow. she showed me her, her impeccable cell culture technique to grow cancer cells in the lab, in the petri dish. She's one example of the people that I learned from, but I can't tell you that there was a team of people at the okay. bench at the same time tinkering with the prototypes with me, okay. right? And so I had people teach me how to do different things that yeah. I pulled together yeah. And one of my girlfriends, um, Dr. Stephanie Crockett, she had gone to vet school at Tuskegee and was doing yeah. a PhD at UAB while I was there. And Miss Arlene was like, hey, this young lady needs some nanoparticles and you need to learn how to work on these mice. So maybe y'all can teach each other. And we had this trade-off. So wow. here I am, this physicist in the physics PhD program, now training at the Comprehensive Cancer Center getting these skill sets. Yeah. And Dr. Crockett is in the lab because we had to work in the middle of the night because people didn't want us in the lab during the daytime. That's another story. Right. So she's <laughs> in the lab in the middle of the night showing me how to do the dissection, showing me how to um, do the standard research model to develop cancer tumors, cancerous tumors in the laboratory mice. And wow. she's showing me how to pull the skin up and how to put the needle right under the skin and how to inject the cancer cells mm -hmm. so that the tumor can form. So, and you know, I remember there are times where her boyfriend would come up to the lab, like it's two in the morning, y'all ain't here by yourselves. <laughs> and, and we're like, we're still working. He was like, well, I'm going to stay here till you guys finish and make sure you get to the car safely. Right, so, right. so I can't ever say I did this by myself because there were so many people who were there for parts of the journey that were yeah. critical, right? Because I didn't teach myself all the things that I needed to know. But then when it came time to, okay, now I know how to grow the cancer cells and now I know how to put them in the mice and now I know how to make my nanoparticles and I can build the optical setup and make the prototype right, to right. direct the laser light and develop this prototype to use this treatment on the on the mice and I know how to do each individual step because I had like 15 people teaching me 15 different things. I pulled them all together and I was able to take advice from some people and, and, and not trying to say that other people's advice and ideas didn't help. But what happened was the person who told me, take the publication and duplicate the results that they published in this study. Gotcha. That was important so that I could have the insight to see what those people did wrong. Yeah. And to be able to take those techniques and improve upon them to develop the technology that I created, which also kind of went back to my initial idea of this is how I think it should be done. And yeah. so, so the lab part, the, the invention was mine, but I had yeah. people teach me things, right? Yeah. So yeah. I can't say it was all me. Now on the other side of that, I've built a team at Morehouse School of Medicine in the okay. Department of Surgery. I have a team of oncologists in a variety of cancers. I named them earlier, but I mentioned them again from uh, prostate, breast, colorectal, yeah. anal, cervical, pancreatic, um, wow. head and neck, and brain cancers. And um, I have collaborators at Morehouse School of Medicine at the VA and different institutions, Navison Healthcare, and different institutions around the country. And we're part of the state of Georgia's tech incubator. So we have access to a variety of coaches to help us translate the technology. And in the Oralee Smith Cancer Research Foundation, we have a team of 100 volunteers who are helping us 
do our fundraising efforts so that we can keep this technology affordable yeah. and accessible. And the, 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 the volunteers in the Orly Foundation do everything from making sure our website is up and running and updating the website to making sure we have graphics and scheduling them on social yeah. media, um, hosting and helping us host fundraisers and helping us launch partnerships and scheduling interviews and and there's yeah. a whole machine virtual before COVID. So, so we we have volunteers from California, literally from coast to coast, and wow. across seas in Egypt, in Germany, in Nigeria, and what? and yeah, and, okay, yeah, we're <laughs> we're international now, and wow. I'm I'm grateful for our team, and we've been able to hit milestones of of something that. To my knowledge, there have only been 32 other Black female tech founders to raise a million dollars or more for a tech startup. In between George Floyd and Amar Arbery, we hit that million dollar milestone, but we didn't do a celebration lap because wow. I was grieving along with the rest of the world, right? Yeah. And when I was sharing this with one of my mentors from the Advanced Technology and Development Center, he said, Hadia, that's remarkable, but, but what you haven't Put in context, there have only been 12 African American tech founders to raise $2 million or more for a tech startup. Wow. So the fact that my tech startup happens to be a nonprofit, yeah, it's just how my tech startup is, is formulated. Yeah. Um, but we still are very much a tech startup. We just happen to be a nonprofit so that we're raising money not through investors, but through philanthropic gifts and donors. Yeah. And so I can't take credit because it took, and I have to count Karen Hunter and all the Karen rebels who helped get us to that million dollar milestone that we wouldn't have gotten there without her and all the recurring donors and all the people who hosted fundraisers and the brothers at Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity and the brothers at Kappa Alpha yeah. Psi Fraternity, Sorors and Delta Sigma Theta Sorority. So I can't sit here and say, Oh, yeah. I, me, I, me. This was a, a collective joint effort and we still need more help. Yeah. So this was only like the contribution of about 15,000 people to get to this first million dollars. Wow. And 15,000 people is just a drop in the bucket of all the people who are, know about what I'm doing and are proud. And so the, the call to action is donate even if it's yeah. just a dollar like literally my interview with roland martin had more than 14 million views if i had a dollar for everybody who saw that video and made a comment we would have had the 10 million dollars that we need to start human trials four years ago when that interview aired it's, isn't that, isn't, so, that amazing? isn't that isn't that as simple as one dollar yes for every viewer and you would already be starting clinical Yes. And so just since we're talking about it, let me give people the website where they can go become a donor. So hold on, hold, hold, hold that, okay. hold that, hold that, hold that. Cause okay. we're going, okay. we're going to get to that. Um, okay. Cause we we're at the point where we always ask our guests uh, to um, give positive deposits. And so yes. I know that um, for you as a physicist, for you um, that has been a caregiver of, um, of cancer, what are um, three, just three positive deposits that you would, you know, shed light on, shed and spread, spread that love or those words or those phrases or those call to actions um, to inspire the next future black physicist, um, a caregiver that doesn't know what to do and, or just someone that's ready to, you know, get into the fight with, with cancer. Okay, so the advice I would give, the positive deposits I would give to someone who's aspiring to be a physicist, be a scientist, have a STEM career, um, be an entrepreneur, a tech yeah. innovator, um, who has academic aspirations even of, of getting a PhD or any of that kind of pursuit, my advice would be, if you have a dream, that's God's way of giving you affirmation that what you're dreaming is possible. Mm. And don't let anybody tell you that it's not possible. And, and, and hear me when I say this, 
their declaration of it not being possible is probably true for them. Mm. And that has nothing to do with what's true for you. Amen. I so like don't that. let Amen. somebody else define your capabilities based on their limitations. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my positive deposits for caregivers. Yes. You need a team. Mm. Because in the process of caring for someone else, you have to take time to be kind to yourself because you cannot pour from an empty cup. We have like to be in the habit of giving of our abundance from our cup that overflows, not from our depleted state from an empty cup. We have to give from our overflow. And you can't have a full cup when you're stressed, when you're tired and you don't have a break. You need to have off time. Yeah. You need to have people doing rotations. Yeah. Being a caregiver is not a one person job. Yeah. Um, even if you have to bring in other family members, um, hire people to come so that you can go take a walk yeah. literally every day. Um, take down time to have time to be off. And this is across the board. It's so easy to get caught up in doing something that you feel like you have to do because it's needed to do it without taking breaks, without taking time to be off work every day and without taking whole off days. Yeah, That's so important because these things are marathons. They're not sprints. And Amen. sprinting a marathon is a recipe for disaster. So get a team in place so that you can be kind to yourself and give from a place. And then the third place you asked me to make positive deposits was for someone who may be facing cancer right now. Yeah. Um, my heart says to those people that how do I phrase this? There is not one universal approach for curing cancer. Mm -hmm. And cancer is a very generic description for several hundred different type of diseases. Yeah. Having you and your body with this specific manifestation of this dis-ease, your cancer may respond to something that somebody else's may not. Mm. So do all of what I'm about to say and get second opinions, but make sure that you have a clean diet of organic food. Eliminate every source of cancer, every source of toxin, everything that's dead and dying. Eliminate that from everything that you consume, everything that you read, everything you watch on TV, everything, everything you talk about, everything you consume, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Remove all the cancers from your life. Sometimes cancers have a name, a birth date, a social security number. They may live with you. They may, you feel it when they come in your presence. Remove yeah. those cancers. That cancer may be a job. It may be connected to your paycheck. Mm. You need to remove those cancers from your life. Sometimes it's in the garbage that you're eating. And because you eat it, you assume it's food, but it's not food. It's not giving you life. And you need to eliminate those cancers from your life. Sometimes it's in the products that you're using on your body or to clean your house. And you need to remove those sources of cancer from your life. Sometimes it's in the way that you show up and you have unforgiveness and you have toxicity Ooh. in your spirit and you have things going on in yourself and you need to remove those cancers from your life. So across the board, the type of cancer treatment depends on the type of cancer you have. But if you continue to have the cancers in your life, those treatments may be futile. So do your work and then you should have a better response, especially when you start early 
if you do yeah. holistic, if you do traditional chemotherapy and radiation, mostly all of those things can be effective, but it depends on your body. So if you're yeah. trying something and it's not working for you, don't be so convinced because it worked for your neighbor to the right or to the left that it's going to work for you, that you don't do assessments in real time and make adjustments, that maybe this holistic herbal approach worked for somebody else when they did a 10-day detox and cleanse, mm -hmm. and now they're cancer-free, and amen and hallelujah, and then somebody over here had the miracle of prayer and laying of hands, and that worked for them, but you might need chemo, you yeah. might need radiation, you might need surgery, so some of that discernment comes from fasting and praying, but some of that comes from getting a second opinion and yep. staying on top of, is yep. your cancer going away or not? And don't be so committed to something that's not working that you can't make the adjustment to try something else that can work. So a lot of times we get convinced that, oh, the holistic approach can work, mm -hmm. but it may only work for some people with certain type of cancers and you may not have that type of cancer. Exactly. So that's my word to cancer patients. Stay wow. vigilant about the type of cancers that you have in your life and get rid of them and be vigilant about your cancer treatment process and make the adjustments when you need to, to because sometimes things don't work and sometimes surgery to cut things right. out of your life is good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. So that's wow. That's 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 yeah. That that was from Hadia. That was from I, you, you taking my words out of my mouth. I was saying that's that's Hadia just spoke, y'all. And that's that right. those are so powerful. My positive deposits. Yes. Ooh, yo, I'm just sitting here, my I'm just getting butterflies in my stuck. I'm like, I'm hearing that light, that light. And um, yo, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So um, how can we support yes. you? Where yes. can we find you? You know, yes. where can we reach out to? Yes. Okay. So there are actually a list of ways to support, but we need to start with the most tangible one. Yeah. Everybody, for the most part, can give at least a dollar. Yep. at oralee.org, O-R-A-L-E-E.org. And you can become a recurring monthly donor at any amount and literally any dollar counts. So when people hear this, just please take a moment and make a donation right now instead yep. of delaying it. Because so many people do that. If we had people show up for us, we would have been able to start our human trials and start saving lives instead of continuing to fundraise and having people get diagnosed coming to us saying, can you help me? Can you exactly. shrink my tumor the way you did for those mice? And we're having to turn people away. So wow. orally.org is where you can become a recurring donor. But we also yeah. have our cash app and our Venmo okay. that has dollar sign orally foundation. Oh, y'all got Venmo too? Okay. We got Venmo too. <laughs> and we're on Amazon Smile. You can find hey. us Aura Lee Smith Cancer Research Foundation on Amazon Smile. We're part of about 50 employee matching programs from Boeing to IBM wow. and a lot of different corporations in between different, okay. uh, all kinds of different corporations. So if you have an employee matching program and you can participate in that, please let us know. And I want to shout out to our Microsoft family for their gifts. And, and, and we have, and I probably shouldn't start calling names, but we have people <laughs> who are doing these employee matching programs. And that's yeah. been a huge uh, benefit to us. But any introductions to family foundations, estate planning, you wow. can leave us in your legacy and your will. You can be wow. part of making history with us. And we have people when they're, when they lose a loved one, not necessarily only to cancer, but they ask people to donate to the Oralee Foundation in lieu of flowers. We wow. also have people donating their, um, their birthdays and doing fundraisers on Facebook. And you can do a fundraiser when yeah. you go live on Instagram by clicking the heart before you go live. And you can select Oralee Smith Cancer Research Foundation wow. when you go live on Instagram to have your lives on Instagram be a fundraiser for the Oralee Foundation. And we're excited about that. And in addition to 
resources. We need volunteers. We need introductions. If you can make and edit videos or make flyers for social okay. media or have fundraising ideas or you want to host the meet and greet to introduce the work that I'm doing to your network in a more personal way yeah. and challenge your friends to donate $50 or challenge them yeah. to donate $1,000 or create your own challenge. We, we need that. We need introductions to corporate um, community outreach efforts and yeah. com community initiatives so that we can get corporate sponsors. We don't have a single corporate sponsor as of today. We're working on that. Yeah. but we need those introductions and we're establishing the national partnerships. So if you have an organization, a church, a group, even it could be a book club, you guys can come on board and be and partner with us to make history as we bring forth this new way to treat cancer on the planet. So I'm excited, I'm yeah. grateful. Um, I wanna say thank you to all yeah. of the team orally volunteers yeah. for their work and their contributions because we don't do, I don't do this by myself. Right. And you know, I appreciate, and I'll just put it out there. If anybody has a connection to Oprah, Tyler Perry, or Kevin Hart, don't just tell me <laughs> to go ask them. Make the introduction for me. Oh. <laughs> Definitely. So, so I know you, you talked about how to donate. Um, what are your social media handles? Um, oh, yes. Can, Thank you for that. So connect, please follow us. You. Yes, please follow us on social media. I think we're almost everywhere. At Dr. Hadia Green, that's D R H A D I Y A H Green, like the color, and at Aura Lee Org, O R A L E E Org. So we're at, we are really on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, um, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. And, and we're still building out our presence through the Aura Lee. So if you can like our page on Aura Lee and yeah. help us get our followers, my my dream right now is to get to 100,000 followers on, on social media. So uh, we're putting that out there. We're excited about this work that we're doing and anything that people can do to support, it could simply just be following us on social media and liking and commenting on our posts yeah. and helping us get the word out and sharing our posts. Well, man. As y'all heard, there's so many ways you can support, whether volunteering your time, hosting a birthday fundraiser, going to the Oralee.org and donating $1 and do it reoccurring. Just $1. $1 yes, will make a difference. And so um, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a, a pleasure. It was a powerful message. Um, thank you so much I'm for so, having me. so blessed. And um so just so you guys know, if you want to tune in and listen to this and share this with someone, we are on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, and we have our own YouTube channel, the Positive Deposits YouTube channel. And, uh, and, uh, and just like uh, Dr. Green said, we have a partnership. So you can go yeah. to our website, www.positivedeposits.org, and on our donation page, you can click the Orly Foundation image and it will take you right there to donate to such an amazing cause. Thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> and with that being said, we'll catch you next time and um, we're signing off. <laughs>